Welcome to BrainStuff from How Stuff Works. Hey, BrainStuff, Lauren Vogelbaum here. Part of the gun control debate in America centers on whether citizens should have the right to use deadly force in self-defense. Gun control advocates say tighter gun restrictions would mean fewer deadly incidents. But gun rights advocates say tighter restrictions would lead to more deaths because good Samaritans wouldn't be able to use their own guns to stop attackers. It's an intense debate. But today, we're talking about the potential legal questions for such hypothetical Good Samaritan defendants. What's a good legal strategy for showing that deadly force was necessary? And would that defendant have to pay for a pile of legal bills or face a possible stint in jail or worse? To help answer those questions, there's now self-defense insurance. Groups like the National Rifle Association, the U.S. Concealed Carry Association, the Armed Citizens Legal Defense Network, and U.S. Law Shield all offer insurance policies that protect gun owners who discharge their weapons in self-defense. The NRA unveiled its new insurance product, CarryGuard, at its annual convention in April of 2017. It offers four different levels of coverage, including up to $1.5 million for civil protection and $250,000 for criminal defense costs. In some of these plans, the policies cover the costs to a point of attorney's fees, bail bondsmen, and even psychological help for just a few dollars a month. The NRA's carry guard covers 20% of legal costs up front if a policyholder is charged, and the outstanding 80% is reimbursed, up to the coverage limit, but only if the defendant is acquitted or the charges are dismissed. If they're found guilty, they're not eligible for anything more than the original 20%. We spoke with Andrew Bronca, an attorney who specializes in self-defense law. He said, Generally speaking, when your conduct falls within the bounds of self-defense, when you abide by the rules as the law sets them out, you have zero legal liability for that use of force, either criminal or civil liability. Key here, there are strict laws when it comes to self-defense that gun owners must adhere to, and more on that in a minute. When someone chooses to discharge a weapon, they may still have to hire lawyers and explain in a court of law why they did so. And that can get expensive, even if the judge or jury decides that they did everything by the book. Of course, the existence of self-defense insurance is now part of the gun control debate. Dr. Mary Ann Franks, a professor of law at the University of Miami School of Law, is against this type of insurance for many reasons. She wrote via email, The vast majority of self-defense situations are best handled with situational awareness and non-lethal force. This kind of insurance not only normalizes the use of deadly force, but promotes it. Peter Kutchenberger, an insurance expert at the University of Connecticut School of Law, told CBS News he thinks these types of self-defense policies could be beneficial if they force the gun control industry to study ways to make gun ownership and storage safer, or if providers like the NRA give discounts on their policies to gun owners for taking training and safety courses. Currently, the NRA does not require policyholders to take any courses before they can sign up for the carry guard policy. It's hard to come by actual statistics, but people evidently are buying these policies. The USCCA says that more than 25,000 people have signed up for theirs, though we couldn't find hard numbers on how many claims have been filed with any of the companies that offer these policies. And despite reaching out to the NRA and USCCA, neither replied to our multiple requests for comments. So what are these rules of self-defense? What's legal and what isn't? The law in most places allows for the defense of others, Bronca explains. And, despite their frequency, there aren't many laws governing mass shootings, so many defensive actions could be considered within legal bounds in those situations. For people claiming self-defense in situations where they are personally threatened, things are a little bit clearer. Laws vary from state to state, as do those who enforce the laws. 
what seems an unlawful act to a prosecutor in Massachusetts may not be to one in Texas. But generally, most states recognize a handful of conditions, up to five, that must be met to conduct a successful defense of self-defense, innocence, eminence, proportionality, reasonableness, and avoidance. Respectively, you have to be the innocent party. The threat can't be about something in the past or future. It must be now. The amount of force you use must match and not exceed the threat. Your conduct must be reasonable to the point that a prudent person would think it is reasonable. And in a number of states, but not all, you have a duty to retreat to avoid a deadly encounter. Since most states do recognize self-defense as a defense for lethal force, Kristen Brown, the co-president of the pro-gun control Brady campaign, thinks that these policies are a bad idea. She said, why would people need insurance for something that they are legally entitled to? We should focus on solutions to those real problems that impact far too many families instead of emboldening the George Zimmermans of the world to shoot first and ask questions later, which is exactly what this insurance will do. Maybe. Maybe not. Branca said, you could do everything legally correctly and face a disaster in terms of finances and emotional stress. By the same token, just because you have, say, defense insurance, that's not a get-out-of-jail-free card. If your use of force was unlawful, they may pay your legal expenses, but off to jail you go nonetheless. Today's episode was written by John Donovan and produced by Tristan McNeil. For more on this and lots of other current topics, visit our home planet, HowStuffWorks.com. Hold up. 